Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to I Was There Too. I'm Matt Gorley. This is the show where I talk to people present in the greatest scenes of cinema history. Today, Paul Rust, one of my favorite guests so far. The movie, Inglorious Bastards, my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie so far. I love World War II movies more than war itself. Tarantino worked on this film for 10 years. He started it before Kill Bill Volume 1 and uh, couldn't find an ending for it, so he just shelved it. Now, normally I edit these interviews down a little bit, but I didn't feel the need to do that today because Paul was such a delightful conversationalist and everything was just very breezy and information-packed, including hearing about how Paul and the other bastards essentially had to go to scalping camp. So let's get right to it and connect Paul to last episode's guest. Johnny Roast Beef Williams to Robert De Niro in Goodfellas. Robert De Niro to Juliette Lewis in Cape Fear. Juliette Lewis to Brad Pitt in California. Brad Pitt to Paul Rust in Inglorious Bastards. That's it. That's all there is to say. Except to tell you that the title of the Jason Mraz song that I refer to in this interview is I'm Yours. And Curtain. The film Inglorious Bastards. The year 2009. The role Private First Class Andy Kagan. One of the Inglorious Bastards. The actor Paul Rust. Okay, well... Paul Rust is here, and I have to confess some personal and professional jealousy because <laughs> my the type of movie I've most ever wanted to be in is like a World War II movie where there's just a squad or a unit of guys. Uh, same thing with like the movie Aliens where you guys, you go in, you're a band of brothers, yeah. you get the job done. <laughs> My hat's off to you. For oh, us. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, you want to be uh, the men on a mission. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It feels well, like they don't make those movies as much anymore. Well, I wonder if it's partly, for me personally speaking, um, the the man on the mission movie, men on the mission movie, usually there's the 
the runt who's going to die. <laughs> so I think maybe that's – you can watch like Star Wars and be like, I don't know what I would be in Star Wars. They, they see – you know, but they're like, oh, the guy who like gets shot in the head at the beginning. But I guess the thing with that movie is uh, with Inglourious Bastards, it's all – Runs basically. Yeah, that's yeah. the beauty of it. Yeah, <laughs> the like the gang who couldn't shoot straight. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of of your character and getting shot, we never find out what happens to your character, do we? No. Do I... you have any insight to that? <laughs> no, but it did cross my mind when I realized that I think my character stops at um, the veterinarian's office. Uh huh. I don't move on from there. Yeah. And I remember when we were shooting it, realizing that and thinking like. So I started to, like, imagine, like, do I just, like, stick around? And then we, I think it was a joke on set, actually, that it became its own movie where it was, like, I decided to become the mentee to this, like, veterinarian and take, like, it's like Cinema Paradiso where, he like, he shows me the ways we become friends. He hands the veterinarian, you know, business to me. And then at the end, oh, you know. I would love PFC Andy Kagan, right? That's yes, your, yeah. And he – inherits the veterinarian practice of this. <laughs> that makes me so much happier than what I assumed was your end when Hans Landa says that they've kind of rounded up all the other bastards and that you're probably not alive. Oh, that, that's probably No, let's likely. go with, no, <laughs> we are going to absolutely, if, if in this movie they kill Hitler and rewrite history, it's pure license that we can yeah, say, you get right. your veterinary we, practice. We can have our own revisionism. Yeah, you're from, still alive. A movie, yeah, six yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're 96 <laughs> Still, like, semi-retired. You're just overseeing. Some younger person is, is your hands. Right. I'm, yes, yes. I'm carrying it. Yeah. Oh. I'm surrounded by, like, puppies. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, the happiest ending. Uh, so, okay. Let's go to the beginning. How did sure. you end up in this movie? Uh, it was uh, in a, an audition, but it wasn't an audition that was, like, uh, having to memorize sides or anything like that. So mm-hmm. it was a sort of a, a relatively low press audition because uh you know it's a little easier to just be yourself it was yeah. like a meeting you know yeah so, so there, you weren't necessarily improvising lines or anything he just wanted to get to know who you were right the second meeting was supposed to be uh improvised and uh and then it didn't end up being either it was just like both times was just sort of shooting the shit and i remember being relieved that i didn't have to like improvise because um you know, I'd say Quentin Tarantino is one of the great writers. Yeah, but you're no improv slouch, <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's any way that you could improvise, you know, a line as a, oh, a, yeah, good, I see what as you're a, a sewer rat yeah. might taste like pumpkin pie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was it like sitting down with Tarantino for the first time? I would have been petrified. Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, I mean, I'm a, much like yourself, a huge movie fan, and he was somebody who, you know, uh, stood very highly in my mind as yeah. somebody who's like a great director. So to get to meet him, you know, but at the same time, like I, when you meet somebody like that, I think it's, it's easier for me in a way to just default to who I am because I automatically assume the other person is a genius who can read personalities. Uh-huh. And so if I try to front or fake yeah. it all, They'll instantly see through it, so I'm like, all I can be is myself. Oh, you know, I, right? I don't know how you could succeed any other way. Oh, that's yeah. only with him. Everybody else, oh, I you're, you're yeah. just living a lie. Yeah, yeah, living a huge uh, <laughs> deceit. Uh, but We're, no, he. Uh, yeah, it was like um, the two casting directors uh, were sitting in on the meeting, and I came in, and uh, 
he just like, uh, you know, looked at my headshot and then looked at the back and looked at the resume and just started asking me questions about it. But he saw that I had done a, a Spike TV horror movie awards uh, show. Like uh-huh. I had acted in a bit with um, Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> it was like a the Hills Have Eyes sort of spoof. Uh-huh. And I was like playing like an inbred person with like an uh, infected hair lift. And, uh, <laughs> but I think because it said um, it was a horror movie thing, I think his interest was in that more than other stuff. So it was like, what was that about? You Did know? it say Hills Have Eyes on there? No, it just said oh. the Spike TV. Oh, and I think he maybe had done something for them previously, so it was like a shared. So then I just started uh, talking about that, but then you know I said something like, "Oh, I just I you know it was fun for me because I love horror movies, but you don't get an opportunity." Uh-huh. And then uh, we started talking about horror movies, and I said um, we started talking about uh, this Italian horror movie called the The Beyond. Oh, but I saw it because. His, um, like, uh, film wing that he had through Miramax, uh, that where he could re-release old movies, he re-released The Beyond. So it was just a conversation topic of like, oh, I would have never, I saw it in the theater in college because uh, he had re-released it. And then we talked about this like handsome tin it came in when it came out on DVD. So <laughs> he, he probably all loves you. Stuff. No, but that's you're speaking his language. It's crazy to me to think that. Would you have ever thought that when you did that Spike TV thing that that would be pivotal for getting you in a Quentin Tarantino movie? <laughs> no, yeah, that's funny. I didn't uh, – yeah, because when you do something like that, it's exciting just when it begins and ends and you're just kind of like, oh, nobody would ever <laughs> see that or it won't ever be remarked upon yeah, again. But that'll yeah. get you in maybe the greatest Quentin Tarantino movie <laughs> yeah. ever made. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah but I remember – yeah, that we just were having laughs about uh, – Having about laughs, about having horror laughs. movies, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like because uh, I remember actually talking about how Inglorious Bastards, it was doing stuff about like uh, oh, some of the characters do survive. Like um, B.J. Novak's character, he's a yeah. character who maybe at the beginning you think he would get killed, right. but he survives it's to the very end. Very random, yeah. And, yeah, and I was like, oh, it would be like um, the uh, hot girl in a horror movie <laughs> outliving everybody yeah. else you know the, the girl <laughs> virgin around. yeah the yeah. virgin dies immediately <laughs> but, uh, but uh, I think that actually became Cabin of the Woods yeah, I think that's yeah. how that ends so never mind uh, no but, uh, but this was first wasn't it I think this yeah, was first right, yeah right 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 yeah your analogy is, is apt <laughs> uh, but yeah so the, it was a first meeting there and I had read the script beforehand they they let me read it so just in case that it came up and talked about it and so we mostly talked about the script and I just talked about it. I mean in, I wasn't bullshitting it was like an amazing script to read I'm and sure yeah. About that. yeah yeah that's the easiest part is you can go in and genuinely say <laughs> I love this material right yeah, yeah. You, you don't have to be like I really want to be a part of your Spike TV <laughs> <laughs> horror movie award show but legitimately because yeah. later it will pay off right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, how, was the script different originally or, or um, was there more did you have any deleted scenes that didn't make it no I mean when I was first uh in that first initial meeting, he had said, oh, the character I would cast you as, you don't have any lines. We might on the set find something and you could improvise something. But um, he said he knew he had a tendency if he decided to start 
writing scenes for every to serve every character it would just become this kind of untenable <laughs> movie like yeah. five hour movie and so yeah. I think he had put just personal limits on himself of like oh I'm just gonna cast people who I mean I in all honesty because I never auditioned for it uh, or you know it just was a meeting yeah. and I didn't have to like show acting ability oh, at all sounds I, like a dream I feel like I got cast mainly because it was like oh I don't want to an annoying weirdo hanging around set. This yeah. guy seems okay. And then also just having, I looked like I could be in the, <laughs> you know, I, I looked the part. So I think I checked off those two boxes and I was able to, but I did read the script anyway, even though I wasn't reading for a specific character, but in a, in a weird way, the reading of the script ended up being sort of like my, um, I don't know, the greatest way I experienced uh, the movie because once I saw it, you imagine other things oh, for it or you just, yeah. you know, you I'd had it in my head for like a year. So I thought it was going to be something different or also maybe because the scenes a lot of times hinge on like suspense. And if you kind of know, but I remember the first time reading the script, it was like the experience people had watching the movie where oh, you're like, yeah. Oh my God. Like I didn't know where that scene was, where it was going to head. But also I remember my main experience with it when I was reading it was, Oh, it's, um, I would start reading a chapter, you know, a yeah. section of the movie, and then it would start wrapping up, and it would end, and a new one would start, and I'd think, there's no way I'm going to get as invested in this next chapter as much as I did with this last yeah, one. Yeah, it's oh, peaked. Yeah, it's peaked, and I'm not, it's going to be boring, and I'd start reading it, and then I'd get invested again, and I did it like 12 times in the movie where you just keep getting invested with each chapter, and I was like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I but, love it. It is my favorite Tarantino movie by far. I, I, the World War II thing doesn't hurt because I'm such, like, grew up watching World War II movies. And, oh, well, I, I noticed on it. the poster for uh, the podcast, there's a little army guy. Yeah. There. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's, that, that's... that came from your love of <laughs> war, war pictures? You could probably say that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it were up to me, it would probably have been just a war movie poster. <laughs> Why didn't I do that in the do first you, place? Uh, do you, uh, what's a, what's a f- some favorite war movies of, of yours well uh, thank you by the way for asking me a question I never get asked questions yeah, I want to know nice <laughs> well my favorite classic World War II movie is The Great Escape it's the oh, stri- yeah. like it's the happiest movie with the happiest <laughs> soundtrack where everybody dies in the end not to spoil it but mostly yeah. everybody but yeah. I think but Charles Bronson basically yeah. the music itself is like bum 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 ba dum bum <laughs> And it's all technicolor and yeah. just like – it looks like it was shot on it's the huge. same like production yeah. of Sound of Music. <laughs> yeah, something. you're right. And, but God, I love it. And everybody's in it. Yeah. And then Band of Brothers, like, oh my God. Well, that's awesome, yeah. I, that's like – I wish I – those are the type of things I wish I could do. You yeah. Know? They're so great. Well, my worry was that like you hear in those movies that they have like uh, – Training. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. And I was like, oh, my God, it's going to be like <laughs> junior high football practice all over again. Where I'm gonna, like, it's going to be really hot. I'm going to be getting time. tired all the time and winded in front of, like, guys who are tougher than me. Because uh, there's no greater, like – High school quarterback alive than Brad Pitt, so I just imagined yeah, right. the like, alpha male, yeah, right. the Adonis. But when I got there, there was no mention of it whatsoever. There was really? no like basic training, and I was like so relieved. Yeah, yeah. I, it seems like Tarantino would be the one to go like, all right, that's bullshit. We've got some actors here. Well, I got, I thought because of Kill Bill, you hear about how they had to do all that martial arts stuff, but yeah. I guess maybe you can't 
fake that or yeah, something. Yeah, that seems but like I was, I, I was like, oh, man, those people I remember got all, like, fit and skinny in uh, <laughs> during Kill Bill. I hope I didn't have to have the same regiment. But we did do stuff where, you know, you, like, learn how to shoot a gun. and. Uh, oh, I have so many questions already. Yeah. This leads me to many questions. <laughs> yes. So I want to hear about the guns. I did read that you guys had to have scalping training. Is that true? Yeah. And that and that whoever did the best scalping somehow got close-ups on scalping? Or is that just some internet? No, I, bet, I think that's true. Really? Yeah. So how's well, your scalping? The scalping was um, – uh, we learned from this guy, uh, Greg Nicotero, who's a, a special effects guy. Yeah, I know that name. He does a, a Walking Dead now. Okay. But he, he did all these uh, great – gory horror movies. This scared me because I thought you were going to say, we learned from this guy, blah, blah, who's a a scalper. He's... (laughs) We brought him on. He didn't ever look you in the eye. (laughs) Never got a name. But uh, no, yeah, so it was like we did do like little workshops and it was about, I remember holding the scalp in place as you're like cutting through it. Oh, so you're being trained on the special effects process of it more than anything. Yeah. I mean, obviously, yes, but like there <laughs> is a technique you have to keep it down. Yeah, I never right. thought about that. You would yeah. start like, because uh, if you're pushing the knife through, uh, this is video cast, right? So everybody yeah. can see oh, what yeah. I'm doing with my hands. Yeah. But you, you just push it through. and then, But if you push the scalp out of alignment, out of alignment, then it looks like, <sighs> oh, you just set it on there. So... The trick was, yeah, like holding it steady and then like peeling it off as the knife ran underneath it. But I think BJ Novak maybe got the got the honor of the close-up scalping. <sighs> well, uh, at the end, he certainly did. That's right. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And maybe who's the first guy? Could have been Omar. Uh, Do you yeah. think though that it couldn't be that who was the best scalper ended up being the person that lives with Brad Pitt at the end? Because that is very random. Oh. I mean, I'm right. sure they had to deal with that in contracts well before, but no. I want to believe BJ that. definitely had that part okay. already. I, I I guess I was thinking, is there a close-up when uh, they when they're all in the woods? Yeah, there uh, is a medium shot where yeah. they kind of like it's in the foreground, and that's kind of what your focus is looking at. Yeah, so yeah, that I, person I think won the, <laughs> won the prize. <laughs> well, hats off to him. So how how long did you have to learn about scalping? Was that more than a day? Or yeah, I guess that was like a, I mean because I was in it a lot either and it was shot in Berlin you would just kind of have like days where you're not doing anything and you're just like uh, in Berlin so it would be like you'd maybe have to drive somewhere to spend an hour learning how to scalp but then after that then you would uh, I would just go to like the places that looked like America. I was like really? such an ugly I American. Understand I, I understand that. I What did you do in your time off in Berlin? Um, what were... looks like America? <laughs> a McDonald's? Or what? Yeah, I was just hanging out McDonald's, and then I looked across the street and saw Burger King right <laughs> over there. Uh, no, I mean, we did go to, like, there would be really great restaurants. There was a bar called Tarantino's. Oh, my God. That was a uh, Tarantino's. Quentin Tarantino themed bar that people found and then we just started going there at, at nights and stuff but they had like yeah posters up of Tarantino movies and then like a jukebox that would only play songs from his soundtracks did you guys let it slip that you were there shooting a Tarantino movie uh, well Tarantino started showing oh. up he started coming okay. so they cats out of the bag <laughs> yeah like right. he, he loved it what if they didn't yeah. recognize <laughs> <laughs> well when I first moved to Los Angeles, the restaurant Birds. Yeah. 
Somebody uh, mistakenly told me that that was an Alfred Hitchcock themed restaurant because there's a picture of Alfred Hitchcock up right. in there and it's called Birds. Yeah. Uh, which led to like two good years of Hitchcock pun titled dishes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember it? Uh, north by North. Eggs. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> you put me on the spot. I didn't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. So what was it like doing gun training? Had you shot any guns much before? Um, Iowa. Well, yeah, I grew, Iowa. yeah. I grew up in the Midwest. So in junior high, I remember I got a – you could get extra credit in our science classes if you took a hunter safety course because the teacher was a big – Gun nut. That's what you want to be teaching high schoolers, sure, right? How to sure. arm themselves. And science, and no less. <laughs> yeah. I would have thought that for like PE or something. So I, and oh I'd go God. hunting with my dad and stuff. So I would, uh, I'd shot a gun before, but it was definitely not in my uh, current, the last 10 years of my yeah, life. Yeah, I have that, a similar I situation. Yeah. I was raised in a bit of a hunting family. And I, I remember like starting with BB guns and shooting birds and then starting with like I'm a young man and mm-hmm. I mean not even a, an adult and I shot critters and then mm. there was – like I would cry. Yeah. And then there was this yeah. day where I finally went, oh my god, I don't have to do this. <laughs> and I love my family. Like they're not gun nuts or anything. Yeah. It was more of my extended family. But there was that and my dad loved to ski and so I was raised skiing. But there was this day too where I skiing and soccer, I both went, oh, this is my choice. <laughs> And then I've never done them since. I've never hunted, skied, oh, really? or I've played soccer. But yeah, uh, yeah. But it must have been fun yeah. a little bit. What, oh yeah, and they were old. Um, they were like uh, antique World yeah. War II guns. Yeah. So getting to shoot those. Uh, I mean, knowing that they were yeah in the hands of non fake non movie people <laughs> who are shooting them in real life. You know, crazy. But, yeah. Oh, what, did you get to shoot a machine gun too? Uh, yeah, we did the ones that were like the uh, the the Rambo sort of <laughs> with, the, with a chain uh, like that. My yeah, an reference belt. movies is other movie. <laughs> it's like a Rambo. Uh, <laughs> I'll bet it's, it's an MG forty two. I know my World War two hey, guns. Hey, hey. But that know. was crazy. Yeah, you're like shooting it. And it's like doing the thing where it's feeding through. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, my yeah. god, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Yeah, I'm not a gun nut myself, but when it comes to World War II, for some reason, I want to strap on an MG42. That sounds horrible. <laughs> well, I think it's because it's it was a it was a good war, right? Yeah, you right. Can feel like you're indulging in something that like would have helped save the world, right? Yeah, I yeah. feel that. I, I think that's why I like World War II movies because you know people will ask me, "Have you seen Last Man Standing or, yeah. or American Sniper?" And I'm like, I just I have no desire to watch my generation's war movies. <laughs> yeah, you know? no, totally. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, depressing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, and also that it was like a – I mean I remember when we were shooting it thinking because the movie seems so um, sort of irreverent, you know what I mean, that it was being revisionist and stuff. I – I you know, everybody thought they were making something really awesome and stuff, but I I thought it – I didn't think it was going to be as um, uh, revered as it was because I thought it was so – not reverential yeah. towards, or, you know, yeah, yeah. It, not that it was thumbing its nose at World War II, but it right. just was being a lot more playful. So I was like, oh, it could never enter the world of an Oscar caliber war movie. Oh, you know, interesting. But, uh, How, did you know, like, there would be that kind of real spaghetti Western element to it? I guess that's kind of in the script with the chapters and stuff, but. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, um, you would, uh, it was cool because you would um, be able to, uh, 
walk onto set and see kind of just like how the lighting was that you would be like, oh, this is amazing. I can get the vibe of what this was. And yeah, I mean, there was also just impressions you would get with um, the first impression was like at the they had a table read. Uh And that was great because it was all I think every actor who was doing it with exception of maybe I think like Mike Myers wasn't able to get there. Um, and Quentin read his part in the table read of the the British officer. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because um, that was originally supposed to be Simon Pegg. I read. Ah, kind of. I think maybe last minute had to be replaced. Yeah, and that's probably and, why. Yeah. So they were like, replace a funny man with a funny man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, that was awesome. The table read was awesome because it was the first time everybody heard Christoph Waltz read the part and. Uh, it seemed like when you read the script that it was like this impossible part of, you know, somebody who had to speak multiple languages <sighs> and be scary and be really funny and charming. And uh, I mean, not that it's any surprise, but when that table read was over, that was all people could talk about was I how amazing imagine. he was. That's and, all I could talk about after I saw yeah, it. Too. Yeah, yeah. I also read that you never know if any of this is true, but that Tarantino had kind of written this part and sort of wanted to shelve this movie because he thought this I wrote a part that no one can really act and then when he saw Christoph Waltz he, he yeah. had it yeah yeah that seemed to be the impression that I was getting was that like it was a struggle to find somebody and then just this miracle happened but and but also with the like multiple languages thing I remember an interesting day where uh Quentin had came in come in and he was talking about how he had to sit with um a translator and rewrite all the dialogue he wrote for cause when it's said by a German. Yeah. And just how that was a a trip for him because it was like um, when you write something, I guess, you know, you have an under – like, oh, there's two Ds in this word. So there's like an alliteration oh, or yeah, like yeah. just the rhythm of it. Yeah. And so like, Especially for someone who has such a rhythm and vernacular as yeah, it is. Yeah, and a command over like dialogue that yeah. like – I think it was like an unusual experience then to be like semi kind of throwing it all out and just in terms of how it sounds and Uh then just rewriting at the bottom of the screen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have a question about Christoph Waltz because he's, you know, amazing. He's brilliant. Yeah. And I was watching Big Eyes (laughs) and I noticed like in a lot of the movies, he kind of has a similar delivery to Hans Landa. And I'm wondering, is he just kind of like that? And and he's probably brilliant, but also maybe he's just kind of like that. I don't know, a little weird where he yeah. does these things. Yeah. And your delicious milk. <laughs> that's good, man. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I did get the vibe that, I, I don't know, it's probably like one of those things where uh, – yeah, somebody brings them themselves. I, I when uh, I met him and stuff, he was a very uh, joyful guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that giddiness you're getting uh, is probably real. Yeah, yeah. It feels it feels like he's so happy to be in these movies that that somehow comes through. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I uh, what did uh, um, the the joke I make whenever I see him in a a, a new movie like Big Eyes or something? I, it's like. Oh, Tim Burton had went, been wanting to work with him for like 15 years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then he finally got the opportunity. Like, that guy, uh, deservedly so, like, uh, you know, Quentin was the, this guy's in movies. Yeah. Quentin discovered yeah. this guy, you know, and then like, it's like anything, mostly with Quentin, which is like, then everybody just, 
comes in for yeah. the feast and the yeah like, he plucks people from relative obscurity or at least they were once famous even like Travolta yeah and, and like John Travolta would have never been in Face Off if and he, he totally squandered the opportunity yeah, in many ways uh, that guy. <laughs> I liken it to Bush after 9-11 where he got everybody on his side and then just ran it back into the ground again. <laughs> Travolta so and Bush. <laughs> yeah, um, remember uh, that part where somebody uh, – Sean Travolta was reading a script, right? And somebody came in and whispered to him, you, oh. <laughs> you should do Battlescar Galactica. And then he – I don't he know. He waited eight minutes. Trying. He waited eight minutes. And <laughs> – that's not the most perfect comparison. I'm really. already already envisioning that. I don't know if that's like a sketch or what that is with Travolta reading a script in front of children. And then an aide comes in and whispers to him like you have the role and he sits there. Just really for like eight minutes. Oh, how do we make that happen? That's good. Uh, we're going to take a small break and we'll come right back. Cool. Uh, All right, we're back with Paul Rust and Glorious Bastards. One of the crazy things about this podcast is when I rewatch these movies, I'm watching them for one character's perspective, which completely changes the movie, like <laughs> Aliens for a Colonial Marine. And watching just for you is so fascinating. So I never yeah. noticed before when you guys go in to break Hugo Stiglitz out of his cell. Yeah. The way you walk up and the way you stand is has so much like football bravado. <laughs> And you have this like slant, like basically it feels like your character's going like, what are you going to do? What do you want? Right? <laughs> then you shoot that guy, right? The groaning soldier? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't even look or flinch barely. Like you just – and this brings me to the pleasure of this podcast is I'm watching the whole picture normally and then I'm watching you and I get this whole nuanced performance of this – Oh, that's PFC great. Andy King, <laughs> who doesn't barely even need to look yeah. to shoot a groaning wounded soldier. Well, thanks, man. Not many people have uh, noticed that, and uh, that's actually my biggest part in the movie. So for you to notice that, I appreciate it. That. Was hard. Yeah. I mean, I always noticed that there was the comedic shoot, the yeah. gunshot, but it's you can't, it's hard to read necessarily that it's me or yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. You get more of the sound, that, yeah, yeah, the rhythm or something. Well, that was a. Uh, I haven't thought about this in a long time, but that was actually and wasn't even a thing in the back of my mind to bring up. But oh, good. Yeah, it was like um, that actually came out of um, – I got that because Brad Pitt came up with the joke of something, something we kill people. And he's like, it'd be funny if somebody groaned and then somebody shot him. And then by, I think, virtue that I was further on the left, oh. I got that joke. And then it became all about, oh, you can't – it's going to be really loud. Um, yeah, because you're in this like cave chamber. Yeah, so it's right? like cavernous, where yeah. it's just like all echoes. Uh -huh. And it was a former um, like Nazi headquarters. Like, oh my uh, God. so there was. Um, I remember uh, stuff torn down that used to be old. Like, um, you know, like maybe a statue that you know after the war was over, they're like the shit out of here. But it was still like there. Um, but yeah, I remember shooting the gun, and they said, "Oh, make sure whatever you do, don't." 
uh, bat an eye because it'll be funnier if yeah. it's just still. So that that's what impossible. you saw. <laughs> but I remember when I was done, uh, you know, and people are done and then you just kind of like walk away and you're like, I hope that worked out. And then I remember like a half hour later, uh, Quentin came by and he was like, "Man, you nailed that gunshot thing, man. That was great." You so did. That was a that was a high compliment. I'm yeah. I'm not even joking. It's worth rewatching this movie just for that little scene. Well, I remember that. Yeah, when we did it, it was actually that for me that felt like a. It was really exciting because it was the oh everybody's in the frame together, walking together in a line. It yeah. looks like the classic sort of like group of guys formation that you see. In, yeah, it would uh, be on the poster, the tableau, right, the silhouettes yeah. of the guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I watched the trailers for this again because I even remember when these trailers were coming out and the movie hadn't come out, I was so anticipating it. Yeah. And I remember Sam Levine running down the hall with one of those full belt machine yeah. guns in the trailer. And I watched it again and he is in there. So that was there more to that assault that was cut out or? Yeah. The, the Hugo Stiglitz, uh, breakout yeah. was, um, that was, that's what it was a part of. And I remember, uh, I think they had like, they set up, a. um, I remember them setting up and us watching the, like the playback uh-huh. of Sam running down, like shooting it. And, uh, we were just like, oh, this is going to be in the movie. This is yeah. awesome. This is like the cool – this is like the image of the movie. It's right. like this like guy with a little, like, guy, a little guy with a big gun. Like, yeah. yeah. And uh, and then um, – I but I remember when we were shooting that day, Quentin kept saying, I just want to go crazy here and just shoot like a, um, a big uh, breakout scene. Uh-huh. And he started having ideas and then it was, again, sort of like um, – self-restraint sort of thing where he I mean a lot of the just a little background it was like they had announced that the movie was going to be at Cannes I think before they started shooting and right. so it was a really tight schedule like they they were gonna have to shoot a lot and get it edited in time yeah. I think because we were shooting in uh, September or October uh, and then it was premiering in Cannes in May so it was pretty short shoot you know. uh, but uh so there was there were times like that where it was like, oh, this would have maybe been a longer sequence uh, if he had time to play, and so maybe he was shooting some stuff here and there as possible, you know, things that he could slide in. But uh, yeah, it didn't happen. But uh, but when I saw it in the trailer, I was like, oh, it's guaranteed to be in. You know? I know. <laughs> well, maybe they. I don't know if it got cut from the movie or they didn't know it was in the movie and they're at least let's put it in the trailer because it's such an amazing image. Yeah, yeah. I remember that trailer because it was exciting that uh, that there's the the lineup where yeah, he's was talking to us. all and... bastard stuff. And I was yeah. surprised when I saw the movie how the other chapters were, you know, like, I thought it was going to be just all a Dirty Dozen type movie. Me too. I mean, when I yeah first read the script, I remember being really uh, surprised. I, I Just in my mind, I thought it was going to be, yeah, like, each guy gets his own chapter yeah. and sort of thing. And I mean, I guess it's a, a credit to the originality yeah, of that movie. Seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how is Tarantino as a director? Did he give a lot of acting notes or is he more just let you guys play or is it, I mean, there's so much technical stuff you have to worry about in this yeah. movie, I imagine. Yeah. I remember he, um, I certainly got the vibe that he, uh, loved actors and loved oh. working with actors and like, um, had a lot of respect for what they were doing. And, uh, you know, it, I remember when we were rehearsing the veterinarian scene, um, somebody said, oh, it'd be good if the light got bumped maybe and oh, wow. um, by somebody's head. And so uh, on a couple of rehearsals, I would hit my head on the light. And I remember Quentin 
after a rehearsal being like, hey man, thanks a lot for doing that. You know, I think he could tell like, oh, this is a an actor trying to make it work for yeah. me or whatever. That warms yeah. my heart, I have to say. It seriously does. Yeah. I love hearing you two got along. <laughs> I do. But yeah, he, he was very like kind and considerate towards actors and wanted to know what they were about. And like also we had just noticed while we were on set that it was a lot of comedians, like funny guys, and yeah. also a lot of uh, – writers like we were all um i remember i was writing a script with charlene yee at the time while i was there we were kind of working on it uh, and then bj novak was writing yeah. on the office and michael bacall was a writer uh wrote scott pilgrim was writing scott pilgrim and 21 wow. jump street at did the you time. guys know each other previous to this? i knew bj yeah but i didn't know michael um and then um eli roth yeah. is a writer right. and uh so, yeah, it was like – it did feel like um, people were cast because he wanted to have some sort of creative actor oh, energy, you know. That's so great. But um, – and, yeah, I mean it was cool to see him, you know, like again in like the vet scene. It would be kind of like – I remember a moment where like they're like, we're going to go bust into the theater, right? They're kind of hatching their plan and um, we all like – all the actors kind of like – smiled and like looked at each other like yeah we're gonna go to the theater and then he was like no you guys are like scared that you have to do this this isn't like exciting and I remember thinking like oh I guess that's probably like what a good director does is just like lets you like I'll see movies where you'll see a close-up and I'm like that's weird that that person's doing that and then I'm like oh probably because it was not a great director being like you shouldn't that doesn't make sense for you to For you to do that. But I I also remember that scene. It was kind of like, yeah, and then somebody hatches the idea, but then somebody brings up that it's not going to work, you know? So, you know, one of the characters basically like, hey, let's not just start sucking each other's dicks quite yet. And that's a line from Pulp Fiction. Yeah, that's right. So he was – Quentin was quoting a line from Pulp Fiction to help explain what was going on in the scene in Glorious Masters. <laughs> that MO doesn't surprise me. Yeah. He's no he doesn't shy away from the fact that I think he's his biggest fan. Oh, and I, I mean I, and merited. Like totally merited. Yeah. And like it that's like um that was my takeaway, I remember after we were done shooting, was I was like it was actually really, really inspiring to see somebody making the thing that they just wanted to see. And there was zero like are people going to get this uh, or am I going to have to show this first to somebody who's going to disapprove of this? It was yeah. just like a guy doing what he wanted. Was, That's why I do yeah. podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's no podcast overlord. You can say whatever you want right now and we can put it out. <laughs> um, did he do a lot of takes or is he just kind of – there's like the Kubrick side of the spectrum and the Clint Eastwood side of the spectrum. <laughs> Fake baby one take. Yeah. Shelly Duvall drawn to madness. 100 plus takes. Where would he fall in the spectrum? Uh, yeah, it seemed more like uh, we'd get to like seven or eight. And a lot of times it would be like, um, and there could have been more. But, um, you know, it, it is all about sort of like keeping the energy up. Like he'll play music during setups and stuff. He'll just like put on soul records. Really? And like... I wish every set I'm on, I wish yeah. somebody did that. I wish somebody would play music because it does get kind of quiet and weird and it just keep, keeps people happy and moving. And, and there's so much downtime. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he'll also like um, every 100th head of film, you know, when you go through like the stock or whatever, yeah. uh, he'll break out champagne. 
So like the oh 100th, the 200th, and they'll bring, bring out champagne and everybody drinks it has a good time. And then, uh, oh, like if you do like, it's funny with the Kubrick thing, because it's like if you do um, more takes, like, and I think there's always like a somewhat like pressure when somebody's asking for more takes because people go, oh, is somebody not getting this right? Or uh-huh. who's fucking oh, yeah. up? And, and mind games, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, he's just like a good reader of moods and energies and stuff. So if he can kind of feel like people getting a little down or something, he'll go, we're going to do one more take. And why are we doing another take? Because we love making movies. <laughs> and he has everybody say, we love making movies, like just to get energy up after. Oh, my yeah. God. Uh, I feel like I'm blabbing. I'm sorry. Are you kidding? That's why you're here. I feel like I'm I'm stopping you from telling you. No, 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 no. no, you, no. you are in the right place. You're doing exactly <laughs> like I said to you off mic. You're my favorite type of guest. Oh, I'm, good, good. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, because the, the, the other thing I remembered was if you nailed a take, um, that was the, uh, the Jessica Simpson. And if he was going to ask for one more – that maybe wouldn't be as good as the last one. We're just going to see if we could. was called the Ashley Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> so it would be like, we'd be done. And people go, I think that was the Jessica. And he'd go, okay, but let's see if we could get an Ashley. Uh, yeah, so. Would you, what would it be <laughs> if you ever topped it with the second, with the, oh, oh that's my good. God, the then I guess it would be Lisa yeah. Simpson. <laughs> <Is that>? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, that's uh, good. yeah, yeah. Uh, so that yeah, there was like always kind of just like different ways to you know make sure people were having a good time. Speaking of the music, I read this in multiple places that when he was writing this film, the music he most often listened to was Jason Mraz. Does that blow what? you away? Yeah. No way. Yeah, specifically one song. I forget what it is. Oh I can look gosh. it up. But the thing I love about him is he is so not afraid to go. Anywhere that feels right, you know. Yeah, I think yeah. A lot of people would have trouble going. <laughs> well, just even the um, like, yeah, the um, the Cat People song, the David Bowie song. That oh plays yeah, at the end yeah. and stuff. It's like it totally works. Uh, he has that. Like, I mean, he's done it himself, but he has that brilliant luxury of having built a career off of like restoring kitchen novelty to the point of cool. So. Yeah, he has free license to like any kind of shit he likes, <laughs> and it immediately becomes cool. And right, and if like, you don't like it, then there's probably something you're not getting. Yeah, about right. It. That's like yeah. the thing you have to kind of go. Then it's like, wait a minute, I didn't like. Uh, I didn't think um, Wild Wild West was a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's not yeah. one. No, Lone really Ranger. Liked. I think it was. Oh, really? he that's loved right. Lone that's Ranger. What I'm probably yeah, thinking of. yeah, yeah. He loved Lone Ranger. But who like, knows if there's even an Emperor's New Clothes factor? I just like, okay, I'll take it. I'll buy it. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, just talking to him, it would be like referencing – I remember like the, the shot where they're um, in the forest and they've just carved into the head of the, the forehead of yeah. the guy and then uh, – or not the – yeah, the forehead of the guy and then it's like the – it's his point of view kind of pointing up and Brad Pitt and Eli Roth are kind of like looking down. Oh, at, at the him. end you mean? Um, or in the one where you guys are all out there? Yeah, when okay. we're all out there yeah. and um, – I remember he was like, oh, this is like the last house on the left. Oh, wow. And so you're like, oh, he even, when you're on set, you kind of just go, this is what I have in mind, last house on the left. And then it would be like, what kind of men do we have on it? Our top men. So he's like <laughs> quoting Raiders, Raiders Lost yeah. Art too. It was just like so fun. <sighs> I mean, being around a guy who just like loved all kinds of movies, loved like weird 
rape revenge exploitation <laughs> movies to like the most popular yeah. movie of all time. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. The scene where Eli Roth uh, beats Sergeant Rockman with a bat and that guy that oh, yeah. plays that, uh, Richard Samuel, he's amazing. The, the like uh, intensity and then there's – he has this like strange – Sympathy. I mean, he's a German soldier and... Uh, I know, but he's almost like beatific in a way. Yes, <laughs> and then the way Eli Roth looks at him and he looks at him, it's, it feels like Tarantino said, play it like a love scene or something. <laughs> yeah. How much do you remember of being there that day? Was that intense or... Yeah, that... Um, uh, yeah, because like you're... You know that it's like a violent scene and one that's going to be probably really effective yeah. you know what i mean and to watch like sort of see somebody like um well i guess what was cool about it was you could just tell everybody wanted to do like a really good job yeah because they liked the movie and they want to impress quentin and stuff yeah. so like you would see these um yeah these german actors who were like day players and just come in and like Blow the roof off because they came to like kill, you know. Yeah, like, that guy's incredible. Yeah. He he actually is in one of my favorite movies, Casino Royale. And oh, he, he is. He he's in the end. The guy with instead of having an eye patch, he has one sunglass and one regular lens in his glasses, and he has the knife and he holds Vesper hostage at the end. He gets shot with a nail gun. Oh my but I didn't even recognize him until I did this research. That that's crazy. I always thought like. Remember that guy in Raiders of the Lost Ark that plays the head Nazi, not the the guy that no. uh, gets the not tote, but I forget his name. I yeah. thought it was him for some reason, but he's probably too old. <laughs> That'd be great, just casting all guys who played like German baddies oh. in other movies. That's stuff. that's how it was in the eighties, though. That's why I loved World War Two movies because it was the same oh, actors that would play up. the Nazis yeah. every time. Well, then, uh, well, we would talk about uh, the big red one, the yeah. With, uh, Mark, Mark Hamill, Hamill. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Oh, God. Uh, but yeah, I remember like shooting that scene with them um, when they're like pointing at the map. Yeah, and they kind of like it's a complicated. You, it doesn't look it, but like I noticed that you're today. following their finger up to their eyes, back to somebody else, back to the map, and you're following their. Yeah, fingers. it's like a triangle three times with the shot. Yeah, and uh, that was such a cool thing to watch because that was just like organically like the first take they didn't do that, and then the second time it was like. Well, what if we just panned out on the map for that moment? Do they like, have to change focus every time they whip pan down there? Or well, the what? DP was this guy, uh, Robert Richardson, I uh -huh. think his name is. Um, and he's uh, this gene. He's won a couple Oscars, and he worked for Oliver Stone, and he's Martin Scorsese's guy, and oh he's worked God. with Quentin before. So that was like the collaboration between the two of them was like the coolest thing I saw uh, like, on set was because it would just sort of be like them, Quentin being like, hey, could we do this? And he's like, yeah, I think we could do that. And then they would figure it out. And like, yeah, maybe the first time it was just like one triangle and then they would build it to two and then three. And like, it was like, I remember then when they called cut and they got it, everybody started cheering. It must it was have been, like, yeah. hey, we nailed this. And you know, Yeah, the yeah. timing, even the actors having to really kind of be aware where the camera's going. Yeah. That yeah. was the Ashley Simpson for sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking of collaborators, this is Tarantino's last film with Sally Henke, his editor that he worked with yeah. a lot. And I guess these films are known for the actors after certain takes doing a high Sally Oh, to say yeah. hello to her in the editing room. Did you wear a I never set? got to do a high Sally, oh, but I did get to um, meet her. She sat in front of me at the premiere. Oh, I wanted to talk about the premiere. How yeah. was that? The premiere was awesome. Yeah. I, I remember uh, I Where got was to it? meet Kanye West at what? the premiere. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. But it was like, um, it was the first time I had been 
uh, at a premiere of something I was in, uh, and uh, and I remember like, oh yeah, Ugh, this is like, you know, if it's not, I I feel uncomfortable like when I go to a wedding and um, the person whose wedding it isn't is the one who's like dancing really big at oh, the reception, yeah. Because yeah. it's kind of like it's not your wedding, right, dude. Right. You just get a little out of hand here, yeah. so. That's how I felt like I think at the premiere I didn't want to like be walking on like sure. you know me yeah. everybody. So <laughs> me I remember and I walked onto the red carpet and I stood there and then I looked over and I saw Samuel Jackson like next to me getting his picture taken and I just turned around and walked <laughs> off the red oh, carpet. No. Yeah, I was like I'm not going to do this. You so. didn't even go all the way down. <laughs> nope. <You> just, <laughs> nope. I turned around and then I like slinked into the Chinese theater. Uh, but that was oh. cool because I remember. You know, you, when you're reading something, you just have to imagine uh, – place it somewhere in your mind's eye. Uh-huh. So the, all the premiere the, – uh, the premiere of Nation's Pride where Hitler gets oh, killed yeah, in the yeah. movie, I just imagined at the Chinese theater because I'm like, that's where they have premieres and then that's where the premiere was. So that's was like, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I read too that that theater that they built for that premiere is based on the Vista, which is near here, the one on Sunset. Oh, no way. Yeah, oh, in that's Silver awesome. Lake. Yeah. That's and cool. I, I totally saw that now. Yeah, it was at this place, um, Studio Babelsberg, I think was oh. the name of the studio, and it was um, uh, one of the oldest studios in the world um, that was still, like, running, and they sh- they had shot um, uh, Metropolis. Oh, my there. God. Like, uh, but then also, like, the never-ending story. So it was like... <laughs> the two greats. Yeah. yeah. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was cool, like, being on the set and stuff because that's where uh, I remember us walking in while they were constructing the hotel set. And uh, uh, it was really awesome. Yeah. I know. I have one more question about your first scene, the big briefing scene with Brad Pitt. Right. So how long did you have to stand still? And it must have really been like being in the army because you you have to stand there. And was that tough? I know that's yeah. a silly question, no. but it seems like it would have been very difficult. It was tough because it was like really cold. And then oh, I yeah. remember too, like, you know, when they changed the lens and it keeps getting closer and tighter and tighter, Yeah, like it reads more movement. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like it's just a hair... You're like a hair off from blocking like Brad Pitt's head. <laughs> so it's like even more high stakes of wanting to stay still because this person's like delivering a monologue and you don't want to be like, eh, uh, hey, shithead, uh, yeah. you know, like <laughs> stepped into your, into your light, you know. Uh, but uh, so I remember they were setting up the big wide shot looking down on us uh-huh. and my pant leg kind of got like pushed up so my sock was showing. Uh-oh. And Clinton went, hey, Rust, uh, pull down your pant leg. You look like a dork. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my big memory of that that scene. Uh, but no, it was uh, – and that was cool too because you were getting to see like uh, what Brad Pitt was doing with the character and like – Yeah, how was it. it working with him? Was he a nice guy? Oh, yeah. He was uh, – uh, I mean if he was an asshole, I wouldn't say. Because, sure. But it wouldn't be good. But yeah. uh, no, but genuinely all <laughs> truthfully – that sounds like I'm saying that to say that he was. No, no. He, Paul is not winking at me right now. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. No. Uh, he was an awesome guy. It I mean, seems like it, it. Yeah, it was like everything you wanted to be and like – we we were we joke on set about how like you know you would be like you'd see him in a jacket and you'd be like I wonder if I got a jacket like that how that would look like you're just like totally reduced to like the friend's older brother who's That's like really cool and you just want to impress him and, yeah. yeah but uh, he was great I remember he was like um, 
he was no diva. It would be like he would just hang out on set and talk to people and hang out. And, and I remember, you know, I think it was a day that it was like me and BJ and Eli, we were shooting a scene and hanging out. And uh, I remember we were very touched that he said um, when he realized we were all writers, he uh. was like, oh, so you guys are all writers, too. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like. That's why I'm not getting the air of desperation from you guys, <laughs> <laughs> which we always took as like a really nice compliment. Like, oh, he thinks we're just like uh, cool guys. But I was like, it did make me realize like, oh, he's probably on a lot of sets where he just gets a lot of sweaty actors who uh, are coming over to him. I can stuff. only but, imagine. But yeah, no, he was, a, he was a really great guy and like down to earth and very sweet. Yeah. Well, my last question for you. Oh, can I tell one more Please. story? Oh, yes. Uh, so God, yes. when the movie – Rat and it came out. Um, I remember I got a call from uh, somebody at my agency who said, um, "Hey, we got a package for you in the mail, and we opened it up, and it's a knife." Um, and they're like, "Do you know who would have sent this?" <laughs> and then I was like, "No." And they're like, "Well, we had to check it. We have to open stuff up. Like that seems suspicious." And I got worried because I thought somebody was, like, mad at me or something. And then they sent it with the card on it. And I opened the card, and it was uh, Brad Pitt. Oh. He'd give it all the glorious bastards, like, these big, like, hunting knives. It's like a Like the one he has? Like the, like the yeah, yeah, yeah. deer antler knife? Yeah. Or so for a while, I thought I had a stalker who wanted to murder me. But uh, it was just a, well, a rat present. It's not out of the realm of possibility that Brad Pitt is stalking you. Yeah, that's what I'll tell myself. Yeah. Either to, to love you or to hunt you. <laughs> well, what, where is that knife now? Is I hope you have a mantle. Yes, it's in, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So you have, you have a Brad Pitt-given deer antler knife on your mantle. Well, from- and they didn't open the knife, but it's engraved with the Inglorious Bastards like logo. And then my character's name is engraved on the back. And it was a very thoughtful uh, – the guy's a true mensch. Uh, my last question for you is, is anticlimactic because that story is so good. <laughs> but – did you have any say in your own costume? Because I know sometimes, like with these groups, they get to kind of be individuals and stuff. And oh, do they just hand you the hat and stuff? Yeah, you know, like Quinn did a really cool thing where we were sitting before we started shooting. We were sitting around the table and like just talking, just the Inglorious Bastards. And I remember him saying, um, asking everybody what their backstory was. And so we just went around and all shared what we thought our character, where they came from and who they were. And uh, I'm so glad I asked this because we can end with this. Do you remember yours at all? Oh, yeah, because uh, in a, <laughs> a moment of needing something, I just took from my own life <laughs> and I was like, uh, he's like from a farm in Iowa. <laughs> like, it was like... There was no invention whatsoever. <laughs> I just pulled from my life. And, the, and I remember saying, I don't know if farming was part of the Jewish experience. And uh remember Brad Pitt laughed at that. And then Quentin went, no, there were some Jews who were farmers. Don't worry about it. Like, <laughs> to make me feel better about <laughs> my doubt, you know. So but, you, you hadn't done any of that kind of thinking before. You just had to yank it out on the spot? Yeah. I mean, uh, that was everybody's experience later. Yeah, they were like, were yeah. you expecting that? No, that would yeah. be me as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Paul, I can't thank you enough. I, this has been oh, one Matt, of my thank favorite you for having interviews me. I love so the show. So oh. thank you for having me. I was very uh, touched to be asked. So I feel you. like I could talk to you hours about this. <laughs> this has really been one of my favorites. Thank oh, you so thanks, much. Thanks, man. Thanks. All right. And now let's wrap things up with a quick round of... 
2013. So it's no surprise that the internet itself is an unending source of lies and deceit, rumor, and fact-mongering. <laughs> Which is a new term for us here, all of us, the world, the English lexicon. So I try to sort out what I think is just rumor and what seems to be substantiated fact. That being said, I'm not exactly an ace reporter, so take it with a grain of salt. But it does seem to be true that Leonardo DiCaprio was originally up for the role of Hans Landa until Tarantino wanted to go a little bit older with it, and that Donnie Donowitz was originally offered to Adam Sandler, who turned it down to do funny people. Jean Renault turned down the part for Pierre Lapadite, and there was a scene shot between Donnie Donowitz, Eli Roth, and Cloris Leachman. This scene took place back home in Boston, and rumor has it might be used for a prequel one day. That's the part that strikes me as a little makey-uppy. Hmm? Other rumors include Michael Madsen, Tim Roth as Archie Hickox, Eddie Murphy was apparently in talks with Quentin Tarantino at one point, Natasha Kinski was in talks for the role of Bridget von Hammersmark, even Ennio Morricone was slated to do the movie score before pulling out due to a scheduling conflict. And finally, the hands of Hans Landa weren't even the hands of Hans Landa. When, when, when Landa... There are too many broad A's and flat A's in this. Hands of Hans Landa. Hans of Hans Landa. Moses supposes his toes are... The hands of Hans Landa were Quentin Tarantino's when he was choking Bridget von Hammersmark. It's just movie magic. And that wraps up another no-nonsense, how-do-you-do session of... That's it for this episode of I Was There Too. Thanks again to Paul Rust. That was a wonderful conversation. Please review this podcast on iTunes if you get a chance. And as always, if you know somebody or can connect me to a great interview subject for this show, you can reach me at IWasThere2Pod at gmail.com. Good night. Wolfpop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.